So let's talk about James a little bit. So the author of James is who? James. James. Which James? Jesus' brother. brother. Yeah, not the brother of John. Great guess, though. Not the brother of John. James, the brother of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you can read about him in um, Mark 6, 3. Somebody will find that and read it for us real fast. Mark 6, verse 3. Just when you get there, go. It's a race. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? No, Mary's son. <laughs> and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are his sisters who are with us, and they took offense at him. There you go. So that's a verse that just lists some of Jesus' um, family dynamics and siblings. Um, one thing to know, the name James in Greek was Jacob or Jacob in Greek. Um, so if you watch the Bible Project there, they can sometimes be pretentious about the book of Jacob. I'm like, let's just call it James. Everybody calls it James. Um, but I understand. In Greek, that's what it is. If you look at a Greek Bible and you can read it or like learn the letters, you would see like, oh, that does say Jacob in Greek. Like, this is what it is. But it's the name James. We get James. Um, so this is James, Jesus' brother. You can read about the two James dynamic in Acts 12 and 15. This is helpful for me to see. So in Acts 12, James, the brother of John, is martyred. And then it mentions later on Peter going to talk to James. And then in Acts 15, he goes and talks to James. But it doesn't clarify which one, but the other one's already dead. So that's helpful. He dies in chapter 12, but keeps showing up. It must be a different guy. So that's just helpful for me to keep him straight. So James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. Sometime, we're not exactly sure when it was written. Probably sometime between 62 and 66 is kind of what people think um, and say. So right in that same kind of time window as most of the New Testament epistles. Um, Hebrews, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude are sometimes called, do you guys know what? We have the prison epistles, we have Pauline epistles, epistles Paul wrote. What is that group called? General, General epistles. What does that mean? Why are they called that? They were generals. It's because they were not written so much to a specific I'm writing to this community in this place. It's like generally this is teaching. Does that make sense? They're just kind of broader um, for the general church. That's why they're called that. So he, James is one of those. And so here's the, the situation I would put on James for you. A collection, a collection of the teachings of James for the general church. Collection of the teachings of James for the general church that was enduring economic and social tension. A collection of the teachings of James for the general church that was enduring economic and social tension. So we say it's a collection or think maybe it was, we don't know, um, but it was at some point maybe compiled. The reason we think that, you'll see this in the way um, I kind of quote unquote outlined it later, is that it's not so much a like point one, point two major flow argument builds over time. It's just kind of like, here's something and here's something and here's something and here's something. So it almost seems like it's like, man, you said a lot of great stuff. Like, you got so many great one-liners. Let's put those in one place, compile it, and send it out to people. It's kind of the feel of it because it's not so much like contextually building an argument over the span of the letters. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so on James, and this kind of relates to what we just said, there's two main influences, I think, on this letter that you can see. First is Jesus' teachings. Jesus' teachings. And second is the book of Proverbs. Jesus' teachings in the book of Proverbs. 
it, it can sound a lot like Proverbs in that kind of like, here's a point, and here's a point, and here's a point. Some of the language is kind of similar even. So those, if you kind of combine those two things, like take the Sermon on the Mount, infuse it with Proverbs, you get James. That's just kind of how it feels and how it works. Um, that's helpful for me. When I, when I kind of understood that and put those things together, then when I read James, it's like, oh, this clicks even better. Because I'm so trained, and this is good, but it's just always work. I'm so trained to like, you know, literary context and what's right before this and what's right after and what's the flow and what's the outline and what's the argument. James doesn't really work that same way, I don't think. When I saw it this way, it's like, oh, just let it be what it is. And it's helpful. Um, a few themes, important things um, for you to note from James. There's lots of Old Testament character references in James. So you can see them kind of listed out there. Abraham, Rahab, prophets are referred to, Job, Elijah. So a lot of characters that are like, you got to kind of know your stories. You know, and James is referring to them. James, if he's the brother of Jesus, would have grown up in that world, would have been immersed in that thinking, would have known the scripture. That would be easy reference for him. He's an early church leader from the Jewish side. That's the world they were thinking in. Um, so lots of Old Testament character examples. Another theme to see in James is um, rich-poor dynamics. You can see those three different times there. That's why I say up, up here that this church is enduring some sort of economic tension. There's something happening here where econ- economics are out of place, which is affecting the social structures. Like, which seat you, should you take at the table? Don't just honor rich people. Like, those dynamics are very much a part of the world that James is writing into. So you can see those references um, there. The back side of your sheets. Uh, another big theme is perseverance. Um, that's how James starts um, the beginning of it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it goes on. Um, so persevering under trial, pretty significant theme in James, shows up a few different times, fits the first century early church world that we know about. Right? We've talked about that before. Uh, another big thing in James is holiness and obedience. That's kind of the call to be holy, to obey what God says. Don't look in Scripture and walk away immediately. Forget what it says. Do it. And that's here in James. Um, so that call is really important. Again, think about, and we've talked about this before, I think especially maybe in, um, where do we see it most? It's in the Corinthians a lot. It's in Thessalonians some. It's in the Timothy some. That this church facing persecution, a church facing division, a church facing social complexities, a church facing political dynamics that are way out of whack. One of the major calls of the New Testament is be holy. Isn't that so interesting? Like I just don't want us to lose that drive for holiness. Not like I, I think our the church, not this church, the church, at least in my lifetime, it feels like has so has been so concerned with not being holier than thou has been so concerned with being relevant, has been so concerned with not accidentally coming across judgmental, which are all good goals. I think we've been so concerned with that that it's so much easier to swing to, there's really not much different about us, you know, than like preachers getting up and like, I'm the same as you. It's like, no, you're not. You shouldn't be. You know, church people being like, we're basically just, we're all sinners struggling, we're all in the same boat, kind of, but we're also in a rescue boat that's on its way to the kingdom of God. So like, yeah, don't be holy than that. Don't be arrogant. Don't be judgmental. Don't create environments that's hard for people to come in. But man, let's not lose holiness because that's the drive here. I mean, that's what sets us apart. And that's actually what makes us the best witnesses. Worldliness isn't a great witness. Holiness is. Holiness with kindness. If it's holiness with arrogance, nobody's going to listen to you, including church people. If it's holiness with kindness, that's powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? So I just think it's interesting to note how important holiness is in the New Testament, that that's actually a driving thing for us. 
Um, so here's an outline of James um, to just kind of that you could see. So um, an introduction, kind of that very beginning part with 12 teaching topics. You know, it, it introduces like I'm James, I'm writing to you. Um, make sure you're enduring suffering. Keep going. I know it's hard. We're going to hold in there strong. Here's some different topics. And then it just kind of goes through piece by piece. So you can just follow those, you know, things as they break down. And James, we're not going to look at all of them because I know we would get way sidetracked talking about tons of them. And it'd be fun, but not today. And let me point out a few verses that I think you should know, though. There's a lot of James that you will be asked if you know sometime later in your residency. So um, let's point out a few of those verses. One of them is um, James 1, 2, and 3. We already talked about consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Um, that's an important one. Great New Testament verse. A great one to memorize, too. Um, for one, for perspective, you know, I think to remember there's lots of people who face all kinds of trials and persecution that we don't. It's just good to remember. For another, this is great for us. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. That doesn't even say persecution. You know, it just says trials of many kinds. So all kinds of things you face are those. Consider that pure joy. That's crazy. That's what he said. So I think it's a good one to memorize. Um, chapter 1, verse 19 um, is a good one to know. Um, another great one to memorize. Lots of good memorizing stuff in James. And he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Is anybody like, amen to that? Goodness, my anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God wants for me or that I want. I think thinking about this verse... It's just one of those that's like, gosh, it's true. You know, all, obviously all of Scripture is true. So much of it is like, I'm not going to disagree with it. So many things you read really hit home. This is one of those that you're just like, yeah, if like everybody just did this, how much better of a place would the world be to live? You know, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That's world-changing stuff. Huge, huge, huge. Um, look at chapter 2, verse 19. says you believe that there's one god good even the demons believe that and shudder i think that's one of those verses a lot of people know of and know about and heard before i think it's helpful to know where it is um it's here in james so it's like you may believe the right things you may you know do good stuff that's not what saves you either you know just having a faith and belief that's not enough just doing good stuff that's not enough there's a real god there's a real jesus and it shakes the spiritual room so what are you going to do about that that's the core of this stuff. Uh, so that's James 2, 19. Look at James 2, um, 25. Uh, in, well, let's look at verse 26. Um, kind of sums up that section. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So this section in James is a great place to go for the like faith versus works. And I think James would say, why are you making it two categories? Like you're going to have a dead body either way. You know, you got to be alive with both. Um, so this is where that is. James 2 is a great place to just kind of settle that. Like, well, I need to have, I'm saved by grace through faith. Of course you are. But I still need to do good things. Of course you do. Do both. Like, you can't separate. Um, so that's here in James 2. Uh, look at James 4, 17. This is another, like, if you meditate on this one for a while, it'll step all over your toes, I think. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Mm-hmm. Some verses say it is sin for him. Mind you, I like the simplicity of this one. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. I'm mean, going to just reflect on that for a while. 
it's not just a, this is a, if you've ever heard the categories, sins of omission or sins of commission. Have you heard that before? Mm-hmm. A sin of commission is something you do, something you commit. A sin of omission is something you don't do. So it would be like if you, in, in the Jewish law, this is where this came from, if you like didn't observe Sabbath, that would be a sin of omission because you didn't do it. This kind of tightens it even more. It's like you know something good you should do and you didn't do it. That's not just like, oh man, that's too bad or it's okay. That's sin, James says. You know something good you have to do and don't do it. That's sinful. Man, let that soak in a little bit. This would be a great just kind of um, add to your evening, like reflect on this as you're going to bed. <laughs> might be kind of hard, but might also be a great way to reflect on your day. Like, God, show me what I missed today. Where did I miss you? What was good that you put in front of me that I missed? And it, you know your father. He's not going to you know sit there if you're asking him and like smack you with it. But I think he would be like, hey, next, I'll have another chance tomorrow. You want to try again tomorrow? Like, I think your father's going to love you through that. If you're mm-hmm. earnestly, humbly seeking him, he's going to love you through it, but he'll show you. I think this would be a great way to just reflect on your day. Um, painful sometimes, embarrassing sometimes. But, again, if I know how good your father is, I bet there'd be lots of times, too, where he's like, look at the good you did do today. You did good at that. Like, I think your father would love you in that, too. So, um, good. it's an important verse for us. Look at chapter 5. Um, let's start in verse 13 and run through um, 16 and 17. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Let me pause there real quick. This is why I'm not doing more of James, by the way. you feeling all this happen. Mm-hmm. So just the simplicity. Of the, I think this kind of thing can get a bad rap. We talk about it here all the time, or at least some. The Really so much of our problems could be boiled down to pray more, read your Bible more, would actually really change a lot, wouldn't it? And it's so, I think, like I said, in my lifetime, we're talking about the church, in my lifetime, I feel like there's been such a shift away from read your Bible and pray because we don't want to accidentally be too legalistic or pharisaical or oversimplified, and that's a good goal. But James says, are you in trouble? We'll pray. I think that's a that's great pastoral, um, not just like apply it to yourself for sure, But I think also keep that in your mind when you're counseling people. And I wouldn't say if somebody's like pouring out their heart to you, be like, well, you should pray. Like, I wouldn't say it that way. But I think finding ways pastorally to get to like, and what are your conversations with God like in the the midst of this? And thank you for sharing. That's so hard. In that, what are your conversations with God been like? Because that's what James said. You're in trouble. You should pray. So find ways to get to that with people and unlock prayer life. Because that really would revolutionize it, you know. So if anyone are you in trouble, you should pray. Is anyone happy? Sing songs of praise. Another pretty simple one. Like, things are going great. What's worship like for you? It should be awesome. Like, that should be the overflow. Is anyone of you sick? Another simple answer. Call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. I just like how in the, in the line of these simple, quick answers, that's one. You're sick? Well, have the church pray for you. God could do it. And it doesn't promise that he will every single time. But... Uh, you know, verse 15 gets close. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sins, he'll be forgiven. So I, I think we do need to be careful with that verse to not say this is a guarantee every single time. That you call the elders of the church to pray over you, your sickness will be healed. I don't think it's quite that tied. But I think he is saying, why wouldn't you pray? Prayers have this power. Does that make sense? That's different to me than pray, and I guarantee it'll fix it. It's more like pray. Because prayer is the most powerful tool you have. God could do it. 
Um, so I think be careful with that verse, not to make it too much of a guarantee. But I would also say, encourage people to lean on the power of possible. It's possible. It's real. He could do it. Um, so I think it's important. By the way, so you know, I think you may know this, those of you who have gotten to hear from elders in here before. Our elders do this. If people reach out to them and ask, hey, there's sickness. We've had elders do it for Elliot when she was really, really sick. Our elders will anoint you with oil and pray for healing, um, which I love that they do. And I've heard um, some elders even share stories of like, and God's done it. He doesn't always. More often than not, he doesn't. And it's just a faithful, humble, seeking the Lord and, you know, trust him in spite of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he does it. So I love that our elders do this. You can call the elders of the church to pray for you when you're sick. Um, verse 16, therefore, so if um, you sin, you'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Mm-hmm. And I love that here. Again, it doesn't say the prayer of a righteous man is a guarantee to fix all your problems. But it does say it's powerful, it's effective. Um, then it says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. So again, he prayed, and the heavens um, gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So he's just saying, like, hey, Elijah did it. Let's see, you know. Um, try God and see what he'll do. But again, without guarantees, but with trust in the power. Um, okay, so those are some verses I think you should know from James. Yeah, Jackson. You said 5, 13 through, where was that book? I was reading 13 through 17. Yeah, yeah. Okay, other questions about James? Obviously way too fast to go through it. But think about that next time you read James. Like, this is the teaching of Jesus. Like, think Sermon on the Mount plus Proverbs equals James. I think reading it that way makes it feel pretty cool. When you're like, I see that. You know, I see this, like, short summations of good application teaching. Okay?